So this morning we're going to start a new series, and I'm excited about it. I guess I probably should be excited about it, right? But, um, but I'm going to call it Never Enough. And, and, and do you ever feel like you're not ever enough sometimes in life? And just like there's just so much to do, so much going on. And, and especially, you know, in social media, there's that pressure uh, to, to, to be a better parent, to, to take cooler trips, to have a better body, you know, all of that stuff that, that we see on social media. And, and, and you know, when, we, when you're on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, you know, that, you're seeing people's highlights and not their everyday life. And so, you know, we put the best out for people to see. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we get that, that envy of other people. And, you know, sometimes we just don't feel like we're enough. Uh, but not just that, but just in life, sometimes we just get overwhelmed and just like there's so much responsibility going on. And, and sometimes we just don't feel like we are enough. And, and the bad thing is, is that you're probably right. <laughs> That's good news this morning, right? Good news. Um, but here's the deal, is that, you know, you know, some people have just this gripping fear and anxiety in their life that, that they just don't have what it takes and, and, and the thing is, that's not God's design. God did not design us to not be enough. But because of sin, that's where we've gotten to. And, but here's the good news to that, is that even though I'm not enough, God is more than enough. All right? God is more than enough. See, His grace makes up the difference for us not being enough. And so when we try to do life on our own, when we try to make things happen, when we try to do business, when we try to parent uh, in our own strength and our own power, we're never going to be enough because it, we just don't have that in us. But that's why we need to lean into God's grace and allow Him to make up the difference in our life. Because let me tell you something. It, man, without God's grace in our life, we're in trouble. I mean, I don't know how people make it without God's grace uh, active in their life. And I want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, and I want to read about Paul. I love Paul. He's, uh, you know, we see a lot of his life in the scripture. He wrote a lot of stuff uh, to the churches uh, after Jesus had, had uh, ascended into heaven. And, and so we, we get a lot of theology out of his writing and stuff. But, but I love his perspective on life because Paul is like one of those giants in the Bible. We're just like, man, Paul, he was just like... He was smart. I mean, he seemed like he had it together. But if you look in certain places, we see where, you know, how he views himself sometimes. When, when you know, he says, you know, I struggle with sin. You know, I have weakness in my life. And, and this is one of those moments that, that Paul's being vulnerable uh, to the church at Corinth here. And, and I want to start in verse 5. You know, he starts off talking about, you know, I, you know, I can boast about all of this stuff in life. You know, I've done this and I've done that and, and I've studied under these people. And, and we all know people like that that just like to tell you all the good stuff that they, they've done and, and, and all that stuff. Well, Paul's saying some of this stuff, but listen as he goes on. You know, right before this, he's talking about a man who had a vision and he was taken up into the heavens and, and all that stuff. In verse 5, he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weakness. Now, we all love to talk about our weaknesses, right? It's like our favorite topic to bring up when we're discussing with people. Like, you know, this is where I struggle at. And no, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to put that out there. But, but Paul says... Says, I will boast about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not 
be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than warranted by what I do or say. Whew. How do you like to say that about yourself? So I could tell you all this great stuff about me, but I want you to uh, make your opinion about me by the things I do and the things I say. All right? You know, we want people to look at our intentions and look at, you know, all of the stuff behind it. And, but, but people look at what we do and say, and that's how we're, we are viewed in this life. And, and that's what Paul's saying. I don't want you to know about all my past. Because I don't want you to think of anything more about me than what you see here and now. Because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to the torment of me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We could talk about that, but that's not what the message is about, okay? There's lots of different ideas of what Paul's thorn in the flesh was and, and all that, but that's not important what we want to talk about. I want to get to verse 9. It says, But he said to me, now this is written in red in my Bible, I don't know about yours, so that means Jesus was saying this, God was saying this. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Man, that's a powerful scripture right there. We're going to come back and talk about that. Therefore, I will not boast all the more gladly, of, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, and in hardship, and in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we want to live the opposite of this, right? We don't want to think about the hardships and the difficulties and, the, and all of that stuff in life. But Paul's taking a different perspective on this because he understands something about God and God's grace. He, understood, he understands something that a lot of Christians don't understand is that it's more important that we have God's grace in our life and then that I make something of myself. Does this make sense? It's more important that I lean in on God's grace and let Him do something with my life than I make something of myself. Okay? Because I can boast. I've got the degree. I've got this and I've got that. Paul's saying, he says, I've got all of this stuff, but that doesn't matter if I don't have God's grace in my life. And, and, and I love what God said to him. And I want to break this down for a second. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I... <laughs> One of the things I like to mess with Miranda about, she's, she's at home today, she's watching online, but I'm going to talk about her. She can't get me until I get back home. And so, she, when she asks my opinion on stuff, and uh, she doesn't like for me to say, that's fine, because that's not good enough for her. She doesn't want something to be fine, she wants it to be great, it wants to be awesome. And, and my natural thing is not to, you know, give out just, that is amazing, you know, just out of nowhere. And like, you know, that's fine, you know, that looks good. You know, and, and so I changed it to say, that's sufficient. <laughs> she doesn't like that answer either. But what he's saying in here, and that's the way we kind of view this. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And sometimes you're just like, what do you mean it's sufficient for me? You're saying it's just barely good enough? Is that what you're... What he's saying, he said, my grace is enough for you. Sufficient means enough. He says, my grace is enough for you. In your weakness, and no matter what you're going through, my grace is enough. See, when we are not enough, He is enough. And so that's why we need Him in our life, so that we can be enough because of God. 
See, you know, we like to talk here about, you know, who we are in Christ. You know, the, you know, the scriptures that talks about, you know, because of Christ in our life, um, you know, we are righteous, you know, we are holy, we are these different things. But uh, maybe a little bit different perspective we need to look at this. Instead of saying who I am in Christ, maybe we should say who God is in us. Because that puts the focus back on where it needs to be on God. You know, you know, we like to think about, you know, me and, and myself and, and, and I need to step into who God made me to be. We like to think about all that stuff and that's good. But sometimes we need to look from a different perspective and say, this is who God is in me. Because God is righteous in me. It's not because of anything that I've done. I am righteous because of God. So this is who God is in me. You know, God is holy in me, so I'm holy. And, and, and maybe a change of perspective could help us in this. And this is what Paul's trying to say in this, he says, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect or complete in weakness. See, and still we, and, until we can step in and admit our weakness, we are limiting God's grace in our life. Okay? Until we can admit to God, say, God, I have this weakness in my life. I can't do this. And I come and I bring that to Him. Then I'm stopping God's grace for, or His power to be completed in my life. And so this is why Paul's saying, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses because this is what's going to activate God's grace in my life. This is what's going to get his power working in my life is for me to be able to admit my weakness. If I'm just out there bragging about myself all the time, God's not going to bless that. All right? When, when I show up in my weakness, though, God's like, I got you. <laughs> I got you. He says, you do what I've asked you to do, and I've got you. All right? And, and, and so for us to admit weakness, for guys it's hard to admit weakness, you know? You know what I'm saying, guys? We, we don't like to admit when we're weak and when we can't do something or we don't know something. That's why we don't ask for directions. Thank goodness for Google now, right? We got, you know, Google Maps in our phone. And I, I changed mine to a dude, though, and so it's not a girl telling me directions, right? So, but y'all know y'all can do that, right? I changed uh, and, and Siri on my phone is actually the, the English accent of the guy, and so it kind of feels like I have a butler or something. I don't know. Anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. What was I talking about anyway? <laughs> yeah, we don't like to admit our weaknesses, but it's not until we are able to acknowledge, to recognize and acknowledge we have weakness, that's when God can work in us. That's when God's grace and God's power can be active in our life. And this is what Paul's trying to get across to us. I will boast in my weakness. I don't care who knows about my weaknesses because God's going to add the more than enough to my life. And, and that he's going to make things happen. He says, my power is made complete in our weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about it. And I love verse 10. It says, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. That sentence does not make sense. It's what you call a paradox. It, it's something that sounds illogical until you really you dive down and study it and you see that it's right. See, as Christians, when we're weak, God's grace makes us strong. And so it's okay to not be enough. Sometimes we got to just tell us that said, it's okay to not be enough. It's okay to admit that I can't do this or that I don't understand this. It's okay to admit that I don't understand what this 
this scripture is trying to tell me. Because then you can admit your weakness and God's grace can step in and tell you what's going on. That's one of the prayers that I pray when I sit down and read my Bible. Is like, God, I don't understand. Teach me. And that's, the, that's part of the Holy Spirit's job in our life is to, to be our teacher and to be our guide. And, and if we think we know it all when we sit down to read the Bible, oh, I've read this a hundred times. I know what that's talking about. I've read that story. I know what's going to happen. You know, they're going to find the sheep. You know, the tower's going to fall. You know, you know, you know we, we've read the stories. We've heard them all of our life. And lots of times we're just like, yeah, I know that. Well, how about you admit some weakness and say, maybe I don't understand everything yet. So that's what gets me about these Christians. I'm going to go on a side rant here if that's all right with you. Good, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, a lot of these Christians that, that come across as they know it all, their theology is perfect. They, they don't have anything wrong. They completely understand God in the Bible, and they're going to tell you about it. And if you say something contradictory to that, they're going to correct you. I don't like hanging around people like that. All right? Because they're not willing to admit weakness. They're not willing to admit, well, maybe... Just maybe I don't understand all of God yet. Maybe I just haven't comprehended all of the Bible yet. Maybe there's something that I've missed. Maybe there's something wrong. And so when, when I, I discuss theology, I say, well, this is what I believe and this is why. But I'm not going to condemn you for thinking something different. Unless you're going to say that Jesus isn't Lord or Jesus wasn't the Son of God, then we're going to have some issues. We're going to have some conversations here. But there's a lot of things in the Bible that is not a heaven-hell issue that we, we get all wound up about and that Christians fight about. You know, there, there's some things that it's just like, it really, you know, you don't want to say this, it really doesn't matter that much. I mean, all the Bible matters. You know, don't get me wrong, it's all important. But there's some things that we shouldn't divide ourselves about because you like to immerse and this person likes to sprinkle. It's the heart of the matter is what we're looking at. I'm dedicating myself to the Lord. This is what's important. You know, it, it shouldn't matter, you know, whether you believe once saved or always saved or that you, you know, you believe that, you know, that you can lose your salvation in there. If we believe in Jesus and he died on the cross and he's the son of God, he lived the perfect life, he was born of a virgin, he gave his life as a ransom for us, and that, that when he died on the cross, he, he took the price for our sin, and as we give our lives to him, we submit to him that he changes us, he makes us a brand new person, a brand new creation, and that we're changed because of him. If we believe that, if we're on the same page on that, we're good. Let's hang out, let's, let's, let's fellowship. Let's not get hung up on all this, this side stuff. Yeah, we're not going to agree on everything. And that's okay. It's okay. We are still the body of Christ. We are still one in this thing together. We still have the same, same mission of trying to win the world to Christ. Why can't we unite, look for reasons to unite instead of looking for reasons to divide? See, that's the reason our country's in the position it's in, because we're looking for every reason to say, that's y'all, this is us, and we don't like each other. That's never going to get us anywhere. As the body of Christ, we're called to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for each other, to support each other. When someone falls, to pick them back up. Don't point and laugh and kick them. Pick them back up. Help it along the journey. This is what the church is supposed to be about. And that takes... Admitting our weaknesses sometimes and humbling ourselves in this. 
See, in 2 Peter chapter 1, I, I love this verse of Scripture. There's so much here uh, in this passage of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. He's given us everything that we need to live a godly life. That word power here in this, by His divine power, is the same Power, the same word that says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect or complete in your weakness. Same word power that we're working with here. It says, by his divine power that's made perfect in our weaknesses when we're admitting to admit weakness, God has already given us everything that we need for living a godly life. He's given us the more than enough. He's placing it on the inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's coming. It's not something that we have to earn. He's already given it to us. His more than enough is sitting right there waiting for you. Why are we not tapping into that? Why are we struggling in life? Why are we struggling with sin? Why are we still struggling with that addiction? Why are we still fighting with with our spouse? Why are we, we pushing away our children? The more than enough is already there. Let's admit some weakness and let's tap into that. God, I can't do this. God, I've messed my marriage up. God, help me. God, I need your more than enough in my life because I'm not enough. See, we have pride issues. We have issues in our life that we don't want to admit that we're wrong. See, one of the things that, that me and my wife set up early in our marriage is that we're going to forgive each other. That we're going to be a house of love and that we're going to be a house of forgiveness. And that's what we're trying to teach our children too. Yes, somebody did you wrong, but we love people and we forgive people. Why? Not because I want to. Not because it makes me feel good. But because that's what Jesus did for me. He loved me and forgave me when I didn't deserve it. And so I need to extend that to the people around me in my life. That, that's the, the reflection that I need to give the world because that's what Christ is in me. That's who God is in me. And, and, and we need to live by that example. We need to live that godly life that's already given to us. As we've received all of this by coming to know Him, the one who has called us to Himself by the means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, notice it's nothing to do with us, it's His glory and excellence. It's His grace. These are the promises that enable us to share His divine nature. Guys, that's huge. There's no divine in me, okay? You can ask my wife and my kids. There's no divine that rests in me besides God, okay? You know, I mess up. I say things I'm not supposed to. I do things I'm not supposed to. But it's God's grace that comes in and makes up the difference. Because of His glory and excellence, I can share in His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. See, I believe that this is the heart of what all Christians want to do. We want to live in that divine nature. We want to escape the, the, the evil desires of our human nature. But a lot of times we look at that as like, well, one day maybe I might get there i got a lot of work to do. No, you got a lot of leaning on grace to do. Because it's His grace that's going to make it happen. It's in His power that it's going to happen. Not by your willpower. Not because you're, you're going to make yourself good enough. 
Let me tell you, when we lean into God's grace, then He begins to change our heart. And, and it's a little by little, it, it, it works in our life as we're getting into His Word, we're leaning into His grace, we're, we're, we're confessing sin, we're repenting to Him. God does this process in our heart, in our life, that brings us to a place where we're sharing the divine nature, we're escaping the world's corruption caused by human desires, and that we're becoming more and more like Him, but it's all because of the grace of God. It's saying that I'm not enough, but His grace is more than enough. See, His grace makes up the difference in our life. That's the whole thing of what Jesus came to do. He wanted to make up the difference in our life. I mean, if you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, sometimes I get mad at Adam and Eve. Anybody else get mad at Adam and Eve sometimes? I just want to kick them. I get to heaven, I'm, I'm just going to give them a big hug and love and say, I love you. <laughs> because, you know, there's no sin in heaven, right? There's going to be no vengeance. But, you know, they had it made in the Garden of Eden. I mean, they were perfect. They had a relationship with God. You know, they had to tend the garden. They had to do a few things. But, I mean, it was, it was cake, man. It was great. It was in the presence of God. And, but they had a choice that they got wrong. That they ate of the one tree. Out of all of the trees in the garden, they decided to eat the one tree that God told them not to. And because of that, and since that moment, God designed a plan. Well, he, he, he designed it long before it happened. But He designed a plan to bring us back to the point to where we're back like Adam and Eve in the garden. And see, Jesus made that happen. Jesus' grace made us more than enough so that we can have communion with God again. See, we have the relationship with God that Adam and Eve had with God. We can be in the presence of God without fear of condemnation. We can come to Him boldly. We can commune with Him. We have that relationship now that Adam and Eve had. We still got to go to work, though, right? You know, a lot of the, the curses of, of that moment still are upon us. But it's His grace, it's His power that gets us there. I want, real quick, I want to give a couple of examples in the Bible. Uh, about two men in the Bible that were both used by God. They, they both completed what God's assignment was for their life. But the first one, as we look at him, we're going to see that he saw himself as not enough. He, he's like, I can't do this, God. And, and there's many examples in the Bible. There's the second one I want to look at, that he understood God's grace in his life, and he stepped into it. And, and, and here's the deal, guys, is that a lot of times when we see ourselves as not enough, we, we are wasting time in what God wants us to be doing in our life. For the people that we're trying, God wants to us affect in our lives, is that a lot of times we, we hem-haw and we, we stutter about it and, and we, we, we delay getting in to what God wants us to do. And the first one I want to look at here is Gideon. A lot of us know the story of Gideon, but uh, I want to kind of give you a quick overview. Um, Israel had been sinning against God. The Midianites came and they were, he, they were ruling them for seven years. It was so bad that they, the Israelites started hiding up in the mountains and in caves, just, just trying to stay out of sight and, and out of mind from the, the Midianites. And, and when like harvest time came around, the Midianites would come and they would steal all the harvest and burn the fields and they would take all their livestock and just, just leave them in ruins. And it was just a horrible situation they were in. 
And, and God sent a prophet to Israel saying, said, enough is enough. I'm going to come and, and I'm going to free you from the Midianites. You are going to be free again. And here we picked up in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, uh, in that one, that one people, and where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never threshed wheat in a, win, a wine press. Have you? <laughs> You're like, what? I don't even know what those words mean. I don't know. See, when you thresh wheat, you do that in a certain place. When you press wine, it's in another place. And, and so Gideon is hiding is what he's doing. He's got his harvest. He's hiding from the Midianites. He's scared. He doesn't want them to come steal it. And so he's hiding. He's doing his thing, you know, just trying to get the job done so he can go. And, and so that's where the angel of the Lord find him. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's like, what? Who are you talking to? <laughs> Don't you see what I'm doing? I'm literally hiding in a wine press, doing something that doesn't happen in a wine press so I don't get caught, so that I can eat. And, and, and you're Mighty warrior? What, what are you talking about? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of the Midian, in, in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, "Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands." Am I not sending you? Like, Whoa, hang on a second. Go in the strength that I have. Verse fifteen says, "Pardon me, my Lord." Gideon replied, "But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family." Doesn't that sound like a lot of us? Like, what, why are you talking to me about this, all right? I, I'm like the weakest in my family. Like, I mean, we, we are nothing. We, we are the lowest of the low here. And, and that's why God chose Gideon. Because he was the lowest of the low. He was the least qualified. And, and that's the way we feel when God's calling comes on our lives. Like, whoa, what are you talking to me about that for? Shouldn't you talk to somebody else? The Lord answered him and says, I will be with you. And you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. And there, there was some going back and forth between Gideon and the angel. And there was tests and different things that went on in here. But Gideon could only see his weakness. Gideon was looking at himself like, no, you've got the wrong dude. I'm not the mighty warrior. I'm not the, the leader of the army. That's not me. But God said, I will be with you. See, this promise has been made all throughout the Bible. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. See, this is God extending His grace to us in our life. This is God giving His more than enough to our not enough. And Gideon's just like, I'm not enough for this. I cannot do this. And he said, I will be with you. I will be with you. And if you uh, know the story of Gideon, you know, they, he goes out and he wins the battle. Let's go to Judges chapter 8. Let's see the end result of this. So he was found originally in the wine press threshing wheat. Judges 8, 22 says, The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your sons and your grandsons, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. He went from the lowest of the low to people begging him, Be our king. <laughs> Lead our people. See, Gideon completed what he was supposed to do. But it started off as, 
hey, I'm not enough, I can't do this. And so he asked God for sign after sign after sign to prove himself that this was really God talking to him. And he wasted time until he got to the place that he was supposed to go. How many times do we waste time thinking that I'm not enough? I can't do this. Instead of trusting in what God has called us, God's not going to call you to something that he didn't prepare you to do. You're not going to feel like you can do it, but he's already made provision for you to do it. So whatever he's asking you to do, he's already given you what you need. Verse 23, but Gideon told them, says, I will not rule over you, nor my sons will rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. You see his heart there? He said, God's going to be your ruler. All right, I got four minutes to tell you about the other guy. David. Man, we love David, don't we? King David, the mighty warrior, the, the mm, I mean, he was, he was the man, the man after God's own heart. But here we see David, young, he, he was young, he was out tending sheep for his father. And, and at this point, he had already been anointed king, all right? Uh, you know, they've already, the prophet already showed up, anointed him king. And so he's out in the field, he's tending sheep, and, and, and he's doing his thing. And, and, and his dad came to him and says, Hey, David, I want you to take this, this bread and this cheese and stuff out to your brothers who are, are fighting in the war, fighting against the Philistines. I want you to go and give this to him and, and just kind of check up on what's going on. All right? that, his dad wanted to know what's happening out there. And so he's like, Okay, Dad, I'll do that. And so David shows up with his bread and his cheese and everything, and he finds his brothers, and, and he hears this... The, the Philistine giant Goliath calling out insults to Israel. And, and David's like, who is this guy think he is saying this kind of stuff to my God? <laughs> right? He walks in with a little swagger. He walks in with a little confidence under him. And, and, and so he's like, who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine think he can talk to my God like that? And, and so he kind of asks around the camp, you know, who is this? What, what's going on here? And, and they're telling him, like, dude, if, if whoever beats this guy, you know, he, like gets, he doesn't have to pay taxes for the rest of his life. He gets to marry the king's daughter. You know, he gets all of this stuff. And, and David's like, Psh, I got this. You know, he's like, yeah, we, we got this. And so he goes to King Saul. And, and he has a conversation with King Saul. Now, if we're not careful, we can look at David and think that that dude is prideful. But I want you to listen to his words. 1 Samuel 17, 34. David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When the lion or the bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and rescued the sheep from his mouth. And, then I, and when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, I struck it, and I killed it. <laughs> that would be an awesome scene. That would make a really great movie right there, wouldn't it? Cool to watch right there. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Now, hearing that, you think, man, that dude's cocky. <laughs> right? I mean, he thinks he is all that. Right? But listen to what he says next. Because I am so awesome. Because I am so strong. I, I am magnificent. No, he said, because he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David's trust was in the right place. The reason that he killed the lion and the bear wasn't because he was awesome and he was strong, but because God's grace was on his life. 
to do a job. And God was preparing him for this moment in this. And, and so, see what we see here is David has tested and God has proven his power in his life. David knew that he could trust God with his life. Because God has proven it to him time and time again. And so he stepped up with swagger, not because of who he was, but because who God was in him. Because God's grace is more than enough for us. And see, we see a lot of Gideon Christians out there. Oh, I'm just nothing. I'm, just, I, I'm weak and I, I, it's only because of God's grace that I can do anything. They're saying what's right. But listen, we need some Davids out there that say, I know who my God is. And I know what he's capable of. And so, devil, listen here. You already defeated on the cross. You are nothing. And I'm going to trust in the power of God in my life to do what God's called me to do, and nothing's going to stop me. Now, who do you think is going to get some more done? All right? Now, both of these men fulfilled what God said in their life. See, Gideon hemmed and hauled around, and he's like, God, you've got to prove yourself to me. Prove yourself to me. See, in David's life, he's already, God's already proven himself time and time again. Let me see where I was at. It said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. So, David, so Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. He's probably like, Good luck, buddy. <laughs> so you, you got it. You, you think you got this. You just go ahead and, and see what happens. See, David wasn't bragging and being prideful in himself. He was bragging and being prideful in God and who God was in him. All right? Not who he was in Christ, but who God was in him. He was bragging on his God. Let's, let's jump down to verse 45. I'm already a minute past, but that's okay. David said to the Philistine, says, You come against me with sword and spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And you're going to pay for that one. <laughs> he said, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Whew! I mean, he was fired up. You know, he stepped out there with a slingshot and some rocks. Goliath, nine foot tall. Armor, sword, javelin. I mean, he had it all. I mean, he was the warrior. Little David stepped out there with a, a sling and some rocks and a trust in his God. And, and we know the story. I'll read it to you. It said, All those gathered here will, will know that it's not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly forward into battle to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead. He fell face down onto the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, and he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it out of its sheath. And after he had killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. See, that should be the picture of our life right there. I'm not saying that your life is going to be perfect, that you'll never face hard times, that you'll never have failures in your life. 
But we need to be Davids in our life to where we're trusting in the grace of God and that we step out in confidence in the battle, saying, I'm not enough, but God is more than enough. And my enemy's defeated, and we, we approach life that way. If you approach life as, oh, I'm just weak, I'm nothing, I hope, I hope God shows up. I, I don't think that's the way God wants us to live. I think he wants us to have confidence in his grace. As Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul wasn't saying he's a weakling. He said, no. He said, I'm strong, but it's because of the power of God in my life. And, and that's the attitude that we need to live in. Yes, I might not be enough, but God is more than enough, so we've got this. Let's do this. I can, my marriage can be saved. My children can come back to the Lord. That I can beat this addiction by the grace of God in my life. But we've got to admit that weakness. We've got to, to learn to put down the pride, pick up a little humility, and let God do the work in our life. His grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in weakness. So let's live life admitting weakness and trusting in the power of God and see what God does in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you today.